Welcome to The Greenhouse Athens, a podcast from The Greenhouse Church in Athens, Tennessee. This season, we're focusing on hearing stories of people saying yes to Jesus. This week, I had the privilege of sitting down with Ariana Rucker and Leanne Liner to talk about a mission journey that they were able to go on this past summer to the U.S.-Mexico border. The southern border of the United States has been a controversial topic politically. But we know that the gospel has no borders, and all over the world, there are people who need the hope that Jesus provides. What's up, everybody? This is James Howard McGuire. Um, I'm the worship pastor at the Greenhouse Church, and I'm excited to have another episode today about some Greenhouse stories with two of our members from this team that went to the border this summer. Um, We are privileged... To hear from the one and only Leanne Liner and Ariana Rucker, everyone. I hope you're clapping where you're listening to this from. Um, so, yeah, y'all got to go to El Paso um, to the border and work with a ministry called Abara. And so, there was how many of you on the team? There were four of us. So it was myself, Leanne, Vanessa Martin, and then Trey Foley. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Actually, before I get started, I want to know a little bit about, I can, I can, I'm going to add things to what you say, but uh, Ariana, do you want to kind of start with just telling us who you are, if people don't know, and kind of what you do, what you like to do, I don't know, what you bake? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm Ariana Rucker. Um, I'm one of the volunteer staff members for Greenhouse. I work with primarily the international missions, but kind of all of that. I, my husband, Patrick, plays the drums for Greenhouse, so we've been around since day one, which is pretty crazy. Um, came from Cleveland and then from other places before that. Um, I am a teacher at the high school at McMinn. I teach French and this year Spanish also. Um, so I've been working on my Spanish on this trip also, which was fun. Mm. Um, I do like to bake. Um, macarons, French cookies are one of my favorites. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Leanne? So I am a stay-at-home mom um, that tends to run the roads, getting little kids, older kids, Mm -hmm. to wherever they need to be. And I love hosting community group at my home. And um, so, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I am going to add to those things. So Ariana and Patrick are like super dear friends of ours. Um, They're awesome. They always help with our babies and come over and going through a marriage study right now it's awesome anyways love them lee lee here leanne is probably like i think we call you affectionately our tennessee mom mary beth and i so always watching our kids and um she hosts our community group on tuesday nights at her house and anyways so thank you guys for taking some time to sit down with me today um all right now back to to the trip so um, what what led y'all to say yes to go to the border? Um, Ariana uh, encouraged me to go, okay. um, and but forced might be a better word. Yeah, <laughs> but it kind of started probably the um, summer before where I went on a trip to um, Columbia with one of our international students mm-hmm. from Tennessee Wesleyan, and just. Um, kind of grew my heart to understand more about immigration and it was a good opportunity for me to have a hands-on experience with mm-hmm. that. Leanne was part of our that trip that we went on to Columbia was our first trip 
where we visited, like she said, an international student that we had gotten to know in Athens. Um, and it was her first trip out of the country. So that was her first international trip. We, me and Jen and Vanessa took her on an adventure to Columbia. She did great. Um, that's awesome. But I heard about the organization that we worked with through Jen Hand. She was the one that went. Um, she was with a women's group, I think, and she came back from the border, I think, about a year ago, about last November. And she said, "You have got to go. We've got to, you've got to see this." Um, and so, I went down in January of this this year um, with what was called like a combination group. So it was a bunch of people from all over the country um, that were just coming to learn about what was happening at the border. Um, so we just spent three days and Erica was supposed to go with me, but she got COVID. So we had to, I went on my own, but uh, yeah, it was rough, but it was really just super eye opening for me. I learned a lot. Um, and I just thought this is something that greenhouse has got to be a part of and learn about. Yeah, no, that's great. So, um, the organization you guys worked with, it was called Abara, right? Mm -hmm. Abara, Abara Borderland Connections. Abara Borderland Connections. Awesome. So, can y'all share about what they're all about, what they're doing down there at the border? Yeah, so this organization is a nonprofit. They focus on creating borders, uh, creating bridging divides, I think is what they say, um, mm. between just different groups. It's very um, open and vague. They don't necessarily have a specific um, way that they do that, but some of the ways that they are physically on the ground doing that is through... Um, border response. So any of the crises that we hear about, um, when you have a big influx of migrants at the border, they respond on the both the El Paso and the Juarez side. So El Paso is the U.S. city that is the sister city for Juarez, Mexico, which is right across the border. Um, so they work in both places. And then they also do these educational, what they call border encounters, which is what we participated in, uh, which are about three days of um, learning and listening to our neighbors on the on the border on both sides, and then also they do they just purchased a piece of property that's historical property um, in downtown El Paso called La Hacienda, I think is what they're calling it, and it's just going to be a space as they renovate it. It's going to be a space for um, just a community space. So there's a bunch of different ways that they're involved in the response to the border. That's awesome. So I have a question. So the when you said they they get to know their neighbors. Um, what does that look like? Do they, do they set up like coffee for people? And Yeah. So I think they have several different ministries and I'm not an expert, um, on the different ways that they do that, but I know that they have like an arts ministry that they're involved in, like art therapy okay. kind of, um, they provide support to the actual shelters on both sides of the border. So they okay. help with food and clothing and, um, reprieve for the people who are running the shelters. They have um, an immigration advocacy program, I believe. Mm. And so one of their staff members is becoming not a full-time lawyer, but basically an immigration-specific lawyer. So he can help with immigration cases. And mm. there's a whole lot of different processes. Okay. Awesome. Um, so what was a typical day like for y'all on your trip? And also, how long? how long of a trip was it? I didn't ask that. I think we were there four, four days. Is that what? Yeah, four three days. full days and then some travel. Okay. Yeah. Because it's a pretty. It's about as far. No, we flew. You flew. It's about as far west in Texas as you can go before you sure. hit New Mexico. So it's okay. It's ob almost all the way over to the west coast. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. What? So what a typical day would be we would get up and um, usually go have coffee somewhere and walk, which was good because you kind of got to see like. 
um, El Paso for yourself, you know, because you have um, mm-hmm. probably a skewed view of what El Paso looks like or is because of um, media. Um, but then we would come back and be in class. Um, I would say class. I, there were sessions and specifically um I don't know, maybe like four a day, three or four a day at least um, for the first couple of days. And um, you just learned more about immigration. You learned even like the biblical history about what um, the Bible says about immigration and how we are to treat the foreigners. So, um, yeah, that was um, a typical day. Then in the evening, we would um, have dinner um, off on our own usually. And then we would kind of of have like a, what what would we call that, Ariana? Like a team debrief? Is yeah, that yeah, thinking? team yeah. debrief, yeah. And um, so that was, it was good to kind of, because it was a lot of information to kind of take in for, you know, for the day. And so it was always kind of nice to talk to each other and just kind of see what we what we all thought about the day. Yeah, and then on a couple of those days, we also visited migrant shelters. So we visited mm. one on the U.S. side and helped a woman um, who was running this migrant shelter essentially on her own. Um, we helped clean out a clothing closet and make some care packages. Um, and then we visited a shelter on the Mexico side as well. So we spent an afternoon in Juarez, Mexico, um, mm-hmm. drove over the bridge and were able to walk back, which was pretty neat. Um, and so just that was some of those experiences where you're actually in the places that you're hearing about. You're not just like reading about it in a book. Yeah. So it was a large part of it was educational, right? So yeah, for sure. What, I mean, y'all mentioned some things that you, you looked at like as far as like what the Bible says about immigrants and stuff, but I'm curious, like what, what did you all like take away from? That's a super hard question. because there? There's so much. Yeah. Um, I think for me, this is, like I said, my second time doing this exact same program, but it was so neat to have um, people that were like-minded and people that we could process with, like Leanne was talking about. Um, mm. I think one of the big things, big takeaways for me was just the understanding of the legal process of of immigration into the U.S. and how ridiculously difficult and convoluted it is just Mm. to be able to come legally. Um, We talked a lot about the process of asylum. So you Mm -hmm. hear that word thrown around a lot in refugees. Um, And so we don't get into all the weeds of it, but a refugee is someone who is applying for uh, safety, essentially seeking asylum Mm. in, for example, in the U.S. from another place. Um, So, for example, a Ukrainian refugee is applying through the UN while they're in Ukraine or while they're in Poland or wherever they're at, and they will be placed. But if you have an asylum seeker, that's what we call them. They're ones that are coming over directly over the border. They're they're what's the word requirements for asylum are the same, but they're just where they're coming from. So what we hear at the the southern border of the U.S. is asylum seekers um, Mm -hmm. and they are fleeing, they have to be able to prove, in order to qualify for asylum, they have to legally be able to prove that they are being persecuted because of religious, political, racial, or there's a whole list of criteria. It's really hard to prove, basically. Yeah, it's very hard to prove, yeah. By the government? Yeah, you have to have, like, documentation that shows that you would be, that you're being persecuted because of fill in the blank. So I think what we thought often was, like, if you're fleeing gang violence or if you're fleeing these things that you hear about at the border, you could be let in for asylum. But Mm. really, it was something crazy. Like at the El Paso border, it was like 96% of cases are denied because you can't prove it. You can't, just because someone threatened to murder your family doesn't 
prove anything. You right. can't. You have to have written proof. You have to, and that's not. It doesn't fit in the criteria of asylum. Like just fleeing wow. because of corruption or fleeing because of whatever reason, it doesn't mean that you're going to make. It. So I think that was something that really impacted me was just understanding like the sheer number of people who are coming who just have no shot at all mm -hmm. of legally being accepted, even when they have really legitimate reason to be mm -hmm. afraid and to be leaving their home, their countries. Right. Well, I think of him, uh, the session that we sat in and he talked about immigration. I think of him saying that the law is so specific, but yet so gray because, um, you do have to have so much documentation and all that documentation has to be in English. Um, so if someone doesn't have English background, then it becomes very difficult. Mm. So, so they, we're really not setting them up to succeed. No, <laughs> no and there it has seems. to be a legal process for that, of course. Sure. But I think we gained a, a much deeper understanding of what that process really looks like and mm -hmm. how difficult it is, even when you have, you have to think about how crazy and difficult and awful a situation would have to be for you to uproot your entire family and walk hundreds of thousands or thousands of miles to get to a place wow. that you don't speak the language and you've never been. Right. And then you could get there and still not qualify for any actual protection. Yeah. Yeah, we really don't, the majority of us, I feel like, don't have a context or a category for, yeah. for that yeah. at all. Okay, so... I would love for each of you to share. That's okay. Um, just share a couple stories with us about while you were there on your trip. Like what what happened? What well, that could be a, a personal encounter with someone else. It could be even something else that you you learned from a, a class or something you saw. Um, just yeah, whatever you think. Um, when we were in the migrant shelter in uh, Mexico, um, it was interesting. We they were having like a group time, I guess, for the people there and they were having game time. And so we got to play games with them. And in a matter of just seconds, we are playing games with someone who doesn't speak our language, but we um, were welcomed in, you know, mm. and um, I don't know, it was just a, and we got to serve them some, some snacks and food and stuff. I don't know. It was just, there were babies in there and there were, you know, a range of people from different countries. It's just um, mm. something in my mind that will probably never be erased. It's just a, uh, yeah, it was, it was, that was like, it was a good moment. Yeah. It like takes, it takes the, uh, or it reminds you that, that we're all humans and yeah. it's, they're not just uh, people seeking asylum in the U S aren't just a news category right. to watch. It's like, these are real humans. Yeah. They want to play games and yeah. want to have fun. We played the fastest paced round of bingo I have ever played in my entire <laughs> life. In and Spanish. these like four year old kids were beating us. <laughs> in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. Cool. I mean, there were pregnant people there. There was a pregnant lady there. There was like a newborn in there. I was just, I was trying to, I mean, it was just a very, um, it wasn't just men. It was, uh, it was families in mm -hmm. there. So, I, you know. It's just, yeah, very interesting on that side of the border. Mm. And they're just, they're waiting to get asylum. Am I right about that, Ariana? Yeah, I think so. They're yeah. in the process of okay. being, awaiting their paperwork to be processed. So one of the things we learned about was called um, Remain in Mexico. There's another name for it, MPP, I think. But basically, uh, one of the previous administrations um, talked about, they, they created a law that said that anyone who 
it used to be that you, when you were applying for asylum, you could enter the U.S. temporarily, and then you could be in the U.S. while you wait for your paperwork to be processed. Oh, okay. Um, but because of COVID, supposedly, among other political reasons, um, migrants who are coming are now being asked to remain in Mexico while their papers are being processed. The problem is that most of them aren't from Mexico. They're mm. from Guatemala and Honduras and El Salvador and Nicaragua. Okay, and so okay, they're, okay. they're not... They don't have a home to go to. They don't right. have families. They don't have support. They don't have places to stay. And so the migrant shelters on the Mexico side are primarily full of these people, like Land was saying, from other countries. They're mm. from all over the place. Um, and they're waiting at the border, maybe for months, even years, for their paperwork to go through. And so they're super vulnerable and very susceptible to being trafficked or wow. you know, falling prey to other forms of violence. Um, yeah. And so that was something that really we learned a lot about was who is actually coming because i think you hear that it's all these bad people that it's all they're sending their worst and like the worst are staying in mexico because they are mm. part of the gangs and the cartels that are making all the money in mexico they don't want to come this is the people who are fleeing the violence of those things like it's women and children primarily it's not yeah. adults and males and scary people it's it's just families yeah they just want to be safe for the most part yeah 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 any other stories i think i would agree i think our, our day in the shelter was definitely um the most impactful just because like we were saying you hear all these stories on the news on both sides of the political spectrum um that are really exaggerated and really they're just made to as clickbait they're made to make you think a certain thing about this group of people and when you go and when you see a person with a newborn or with a kiddo or, you know, um, from all these different backgrounds, it was just really humbling. And it was really, we just learned so much about who those people actually are and why mm -hmm. they're coming. And it's heartbreaking. It's not a, has nothing to do with politics. They just get caught up in the legal side of things. And so I think for me, that experience was really, as Leanne said, I don't, I wish I had a different story to share, but that's, it's basically the same one. Um, mm. I do have a little Spanish, so I was able to communicate with some of them, which was yeah. really neat. Um, and just kind of hear what's happening and, and why they came and what their stories were. Um, and obviously we didn't pry too much cause it's all pretty sensitive and, and harsh sometimes, but mm -hmm. most of the people in the shelter that we visited had were new arrivals. So they'd been in Mexico less than two or three weeks, I mm. think. Um, and just hearing some of their stories about the distances they traveled, the, the things that they were escaping was just, was really uh, impactful. Yeah. Well, and you might think like, where would a mig migrant shelter be? And this was in a church and it was in the upstairs of a church. They had taken and just renovated the upstairs of a church to accommodate these people. And I don't know, it just spoke volumes of like what the church is doing there in Mexico mm. and uh, on the U.S. Uh, side too, where we worked um, one day and, and just kind of just were preparing for the migrants to come to a shelter that they just stay there. Is it three days in, I think on that's the U.S. The max, side? Two or three days. Yeah. So while the they US, await travel. Yeah. The U.S. shelters are more of like a stopping point. So they will come once their papers have been processed, they'll come and they have, I think, 48 hours or something, okay. something mm. like that, 48 to 72. And the U.S. shelters are much more temporary, so they almost every single migrant that comes to the U.S. has a f has a family connection somewhere else in the U.S. Wow! And so most of them are just passing through El Paso or wherever border city they enter, and they're going to their families. And so mm. that's who they're going to stay with: cousins, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. Um, and so the church we worked with on the U.S. side, 
had a member congregation of 20 people mm. and they don't even have a pastor and they host 20 migrants every single Monday. Wow. Every single week. That's amazing. Yep. Yeah. So we know from scripture that there's certainly a cost to saying yes to Jesus. And that um, is certainly true of just saying yes when we follow him, you know, for the first time. But um, what about this trip was costly to you guys? I'm sure that it like uh, your time for one, but um, did you fundraise? Um, I'm not just talking about monetary stuff, but just what was costly to go? I think there was, the flights were expensive. I didn't expect them to be that pricey. Mm -hmm. Um, We did do some fundraising. Um, I think everybody was pretty much either fully covered or were able to fund it. So it was, that was exciting. Um, I think for me, it was having to lay down my expectations and my, Mm. what I thought I knew about some of these topics. Um, even though sometimes I, f- I mean, I feel like I'm fairly well informed, you know, I read the news or whatever, but I think this trip just blew all of that out of the water and really in a humbling way made you reevaluate, like, what do I believe about mm. people who are different than me? And what does the Bible say about that? What does Jesus say about that? What is the church called to? Um, mm-hmm. and it was really challenging. I think some of the stuff that we, we had to go to to a memorial one day, a memorial site of where um, there was an El Paso, a shooting in El Paso, a mass shooting at a Walmart in 2019, I believe. Mm. And he killed like 22 Latinos uh, in a Walmart and it was racially motivated. And so just like learning to lament and also what is our response? And I think that was really, Mm -hmm. that's something we wrestled with for the whole trip and maybe still are. Um, But I think for me, that was the most costly was just trying to give up what I had previously thought and just learn and listen and be, learn how to be a better neighbor. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Okay. So I guess, um, when I think about saying yes to this trip, I I don't, I can't really think of anything that it costs me. My family was fine at home by Mm -hmm. themselves. Um, I was going in blind because I didn't know exactly, um, what the trip entailed um so that's a little bit out of my comfort zone not knowing exactly um what's going to happen um we had a schedule for every day but I didn't know exactly what that specific thing was going to be so I mean that that's a little um hard for me but I will say after the trip I would say that the hardest thing would be to take what we learned and try to figure out how to communicate that back to the church mm-hmm. and how we are to love the foreigner, how we are to love our neighbor um, in the sense of like in immigration. Um, and so um, that's difficult to take three days of experience and education and to um, figure out how to communicate that. Yeah. I love how you shared earlier, Ariana, about the church of like 20 people and how they were serving 20 people or, or whatever, and um, not just staying in their holy huddle and, and worshiping and, and praying for their neighbors, but they were taking action and loving their neighbors um, sacrificially, it seems, and opening up their church to serve other people. And that really pumps me up. And you might look at that and go, well, that's easy to do because they're in El Paso and they're in mm-hmm. a border town. And so I guess my question is, how should the things that we're hearing and the things that you all witnessed um, at the border affect 
us here in the Bible Belt in Athens, Tennessee, or wherever you're listening to this at, how, how, what should our response be to refugees in general, um, to immigrants, um, and specifically this, the border crisis, if you will? Yeah, that's a hard question. I'm not sure we'll be able to do it justice in the few <laughs> sure. minutes that we have. But I think something that really I think everyone can do. I mean, prayer is a big deal. And it's not just like oh, for sure. pray for that random person that you've never met. But pray specifically for people groups, right? For people who are fleeing from their homes. So that's like a, a super simple way, obviously, prayer. Um, but I think this should spur us to action in our own city. Um, and that takes a lot of different forms because we're not a border town. And so we don't have buses of migrants arriving on, a, on every week. Like sure. our response to that is going to be different than this little tiny church that lives on the border. Um, but I think at the, the heart of it, I think is what really is important and, yeah. and examining our own hearts and understanding maybe for the first time, what the Bible says about the immigrant and what the Bible says about how we're to love those who are different and are sojourners or foreigners, as they say. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even if that's as simple as like, I'm going to do a Bible study based on what the Bible says about immigration, or I'm going to get together. And maybe that looks like you coming on one of these journeys with us. I think that is a really tangible next step for people, especially at Greenhouse. Like we're going to continue totally. offering this. This is going to be a partnership we continue to grow and, mm-hmm. and work on. Um, and I would love to do a border encounter every year, multiple times a year if we can. Um, and it's really doable. I mean, another way that you get involved is would, would be to participate in a trip to Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is like you hop in a van and you're four hours, you're there. I mean, it's yeah. as, as close, as simple as we can get. It's a city that has a lot of refugees, a lot of a huge refugee population. Um, and so I think if you're looking at tangible, practical ways, that is super simple. Sign up for a trip, come with us, come Mm -hmm. see and experience for yourself. Um, and I think once you do, once you see, you meet people who are real people on both sides of the border Mm -hmm. and on the fence and you see what life really looks like there and what their stories are, you will be spurred to, to action in your own city, right? Whether that's taking food to your neighbor or, Adopting an international student with Wesleyan, there's all sorts of ways to do that. But. Absolutely. Well, and I think I think you said it is like, how do we love our neighbor? So I think if we can keep that in perspective, then um, we're doing um, we're doing what we're called to do. Yeah. To, to, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, thank you both for sitting down with me and and talking about this trip. Um, Trey, Vanessa, if you're listening to this, we missed you, the rest of the team. They here. have to do the next one. Yeah, they, y'all have to do the, <laughs> the next one. Um, but again, thankful for each of you as friends and um, just that we get to serve in ministry together in a variety of ways. Um, and I would love it if one of you would close us in prayer, if that's okay. Ariana, you good to get do sure, that? Sure. Awesome. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share about an experience that has changed um, our hearts. I thank you for the trip to El Paso and for the team. I joked with them that they were not the team I wanted. I wanted (laughs) (laughs) people who had never experienced missions before to come with me, but they were the perfect team. And um, so I thank you for those who have said yes. God, I pray that this conversation and conversations in the future would be the catalyst that we need to maybe say yes to a journey, to a Mm -hmm. trip. 
even just to walking across the street to say hello to someone who's different than us, um, maybe doesn't speak the same language as us, maybe has a story of hurt or heartache um, that we haven't heard because we haven't asked and we haven't listened. Mm. Um, and so, God, I just pray that through these conversations about where you're working in the world, Lord, that people in Athens, Tennessee, in their hometown would be able to have the boldness to say yes to you um, on being on mission for Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the, this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Special thanks to Ariana and Leanne for taking the time to sit down with me. We hope that their stories will challenge you to learn and listen to your neighbors, regardless of race or socioeconomic status, to treat others as human beings made in the image of God. The link to our page on the Church Center app will be in the show notes. If you have any questions, please send us a message on Instagram or Facebook at The Greenhouse Athens. We'd love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.